morning, everybody. We begin a study of the Old Testament book of Judges this morning. We're going to start today with a careful look at chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 2, verse 5. It's a long reading. We'll do that in a few minutes. Over the next few weeks, we'll review all 21 chapters and all 12 of the Judges, starting with Othniel, that's chapter 3, down through Samson, chapters 13 through 16, and then toward the end of the course, we'll see the sad and unusual postscript, starting in chapter 17, about idolatry among the Danites, and then a sad and shameful war among the tribes of Israel that starts in chapter 19. Now, in preparation for all these classes, we're using a commentary written by Dr. Dale Ralph Davis. He's a pastor, seminary professor, and his title for what we'll study this morning, and then continuing all the way through chapter 3, verse 6, the title of that section is The Failure of a Second Generation. And as we'll see, Failure is a very legitimate way to describe what was happening with the children of Israel when the 12 tribes began to occupy the separate territories that had been assigned to them. Now, we study these accounts not because we enjoy reading about other people's shortcomings. We study these accounts because we don't want to make the same mistakes they did. For example... In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul discusses briefly that segment of Old Testament history when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, they made their way through the Red Sea, and then they began their way back to the promised land to which Abraham had been originally called, the land promised to him. And that along the way, past the Red Sea, they wandered in the wilderness and they stumbled and fell. Now, here's what Paul says about those relatively dark times in the history of his redeemed but reckless people. Listen to this. It's 1 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 1. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Then verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might desire evil as they did. And then the same thought is expressed again in verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, Paul was telling the people in Corinth to whom this was written that the Old Testament accounts about the spiritual shortcomings of Israel in the wilderness were written down for the instruction of those people in Corinth. Now, what we're going to see as we make our way through these 21 chapters of Judges, where the recurring theme is that familiar but shameful slogan, remember it, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. We're going to see that the same spiritual failures 
that plagued the people under Moses was continuing to plague the people at the time of the period of the judges shortly after the death of Joshua. So, starting today, our objective is to read about the spiritual shortcomings of the people in Canaan during this period of the judges and then do our best to figure out how we as godly people might avoid some of those same pitfalls. Got it? As we do, here's an interesting formula. I think it'll help. Anchor, network, news. Anchor, network, news. Don't judge me. More on that in a few minutes. The time frame for these frequently dismal events in Judges covers 350 years. Almost, get this, one quarter of all of the history of the Jewish people as a nation up to the time of Christ. It began shortly after the national conquest of Canaan and the death of Joshua. That's roughly 1375 B.C. And it would continue forward until the conclusion of the ministry of Samuel and then the crowning of Saul as king in roughly 1025 B.C. But during that entire time frame, it was not expected for things to be as bad as they had become. And here's why. Moses had died in 1406 B.C. Not long after that, Joshua brought the people across the Jordan to begin what is referred to as the national conquest of those seven pagan people that lived in the land of Canaan. And when we read through all of the book of Joshua, we sort of see that as this blitzkrieg affair as Israel's forces attacked inward to Jericho. Remember, they moved across the Jordan when the waters parted. They attacked Jericho. They then made their way mostly west and south to those five separate kingdoms and then north to complete the full occupation called again the National Conquest. That was seven years essentially of very successful national warfare. That then was to be followed by equally successful tribal occupations as each of the 12 tribes would take the remaining pockets of opposition as they existed here and there in their own territories and then fully occupy all the land without those people there. And get this, there were military rules of engagement that if followed would assure their success. These were given by Moses to the people just before they entered the land. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 1 through 6. Whenever we read Deuteronomy, what we remember is this. That whole book is about Moses' final words to the people as they are poised to go across the Jordan and enter the promised land. So when you read Deuteronomy, you think final words from Moses, so they must be very important. Here's what he said the rules of engagement were when they got into the promised land. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hiphites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. 
And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show them no mercy. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you. He would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. Verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's a pretty stern warning. And in large part, the national conquest under Joshua was carried out exactly as Moses had directed. In several places, in fact, in the book of Joshua, you read things like this, and I'm quoting, they fought against the city, and it would mention a specific city, and they captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and its king and every person in it. He left none remaining as he had done to the other cities, and he, voted, and he devoted them to destruction and every person in it. Wow. Now, there's a foreshadowing of storm clouds of sorts as you read farther along into Joshua. Listen to this from chapter 23, which is very close to the end. It's verses 1 to 9. A long time afterward, and we can put in parenthesis after the national conquest, a long time afterwards when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 6, Therefore, Joshua warns, Be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. So what's his clear command? It's this. The 12 tribes allocated, we remember, we've all seen the maps, their specific territories, those 12 tribes were to be distinct and separate from the pagan people all around them. Unfortunately, what we begin to see as we read Judges, that was not happening. In fact, the storm clouds of all of that had been approaching and were at this point on the horizon. And 
Joshua saw clear signs of that, signs of disobedience, and he urged the people to repent. Joshua 24, verses starting at verse 15 and following. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord, which meant those people had come out of Egypt. All that were over 20 years old had died, and yet these successors had what that had come from Egypt? Foreign gods. The process, the problem of generational disobedience was already at work. Everybody got that? Joshua said to those leaders, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And then verse 15, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, you choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But then these famous words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So essentially what's happening as we start the book of Judges, despite some level of pure devotion among some of the people, they were at a precarious place where Israel found itself after the death of Joshua. And now this finally brings us to today's passage. So follow along as I read the entire chapter 1. Joshua chapter, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we might fight against the Canaanites. If you write notes in your Bible, you can put a little asterisk by that sentence. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. The two of them were networking together. Everybody see that? That's going to be essential, as we'll see in a few minutes. So, verse 3, Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country in the Negev and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. And they defeated Sheshai and Haman and Telmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I'll give him Achash, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Achash, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. 
And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you've set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenites, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephoth and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But, here's a place for another asterisk, he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had iron chariots. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. May have been giants, by the way. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Is that a problem, by the way? That's a big problem. And there's more. Verse 22, the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we'll deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city, and they called its name Luz. That's its name to this day. And then verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Toanach and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibliam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron and the inhabitants of Naholol. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inheritance of Akko, or the inhabitant of Sidon, or Ahlob, or Akzib, or of Helba, or of Aphek, or Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to its plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Herez, in Ahjalon, and in Shalabim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Ammonites ran from the ascent of Arabim, from Selah, and upward. 
Now, just five verses in chapter 2, if you'll continue along. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you've not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Bochim, by the way, means weeping or weepers. And why did they weep? It's a great question. Why were they weeping? Were they repentant? Were they genuinely repentant or were they simply sorry for their circumstances? And that's a huge question. Remember, the period of the judges is 350 years. Were these people repentant at that point or were they just sorry for their circumstances? And the answer is, they were probably just sorry for their circumstances. There is a huge difference in just being sorry for our circumstances and being repentance. Repentance is turning from that which brought those circumstances in the first place. So here's back to this slogan, Anchor Network News. When we are anchored in wholehearted commitment to the Lord, we repent from our sin and we turn from the conduct that is displeasing to the Lord. That is way different from just being sorry for those things that we may have done that offended the Lord. Now, in this long section, how things went with the tribes, how did things go, rather, with the tribes that were working as a network? Let me ask that again. In this long section with, that we've just read, how did things go when the tribes worked as a network? For example, look at verse 1 again, if you will. They asked the Lord, who's to fight first? And the Lord told them. And then look at verse 3. I mentioned this earlier as being an asterisk section in our Bibles. Judah was chosen, and Simeon was asked to, and I'm quoting, come with me that we might fight against the Canaanites. Now, is that a good move, a smart move? Yes or no? It's absolutely critical. And here's why that's the case. When people who are anchored in wholehearted commitment to the Lord network together for the kingdom, there is spirit-born power at work. Say it again. When people like us, we are anchored in our own personal commitment to the Lord, when we network together for the kingdom, then we get collectively spirit-born power. For example, verses 4 to 6, when Judah and Simeon worked together, what we see there is the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 at Bezak. So here's the point. In the Lord's kingdom, plural pronouns should be popular because they are powerful. For example, 
a bunch of men, they helped John Tomaski move yesterday. And with all the stuff in that truck, they needed great help and they had great power to accomplish what was necessary because they, plural pronoun, worked together. Friday, the ladies came together here to have a study. That is, there was networking of women who were anchored together in the faith. We had a time of prayer Thursday evening with a collection of us over Zoom. Look at that same principle in verse 17. Judah and Simeon, quoting again, defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. But look what happens when there's no network. Verse 21, the people of Benjamin didn't drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people in Jerusalem to this day. Did we see any evidence of networking? I, just, I don't think that's just an editorial issue that the writer forgot to say, oh, and Benjamin was aligned with. The point, the problem, and the persistent generational problem is when Christians are not networking together, we lose some of the strength that we have as godly men and women in a culture that is today not particularly unlike what we saw in that 350-year period in the Judges. Where was the networking? And get this, they may have been anchored individually in their personal commitment to the Lord, but they lacked that spirit-born power to cast out the problem of the pagan people that were all around them. Here's what I would say about this as we begin our way into the book of Judges. The national conquest was extraordinary. Seven years of beginning what was necessary for Canaan to be occupied by God's people. But the tribal occupation, when the individual tribes went into their respective areas, that required cooperation and not isolation. And let me just say this, so does everyday normal Christian living. We need one another. In fact, the church exists for a host of reasons, most notably the worship and glory of God, but one of the very good reasons we assemble is that we are the body of Christ, aren't we? And we don't function well without one another. Read 1 Corinthians 12. How can the eye say to the ear, I have no need of you? Where then would be the sense of hearing? We all matter in the body of Christ. Just look at the reality of the inevitable failure of isolation in verse 27 with Manasseh, in verse 29 with Ephraim, in verse 30 with Zebulun, 31 with Asher, 33 with Naphtali, and then finally verse 34 with Dan. And let me just say this. In some instances, Israel may have put those inhabitants to forced labor. The author is quick to point that out. But here's the problem. They may have been engaged in forced labor for the Israelites, but they still lived among the people of Israel, which was the direct opposite of what God had warned against with Moses in the very beginning. Those types of living among the evil people create connections that will always, always result in spiritual corruption. That was dreadful 
what was going on. Now, does anybody think there's a principle that applies to that these days? Yeah, sure. We have to separate ourselves from activities like that that can bring spiritual corruption. Of course, let me just say this. The whole sequence of the 12 judges was absolute evidence that God in mercy hadn't forgotten His people or abandoned His covenant promises. As we make our way through these 21 chapters, what we're going to see is that God raised up judges because He had not forgotten the covenant promise originally made to Abraham. That's precisely why these judges were raised up. But here's the question. Why were they necessary? And they were necessary because of what we've just read. No anchor and no network. But for now, the consequence of the collapse of the tribal occupation had those lasting and dreadful consequences. Look at the portion of chapter 2 that we read a bit earlier. This is just verses 1 through 3. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I'll never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But then, the shocking news, but you've not obeyed my voice. What's this you've done? And so I say, I'll not drive them out from before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. And that's precisely what we'll see as we move ahead. They were not anchored in wholehearted commitment to the Lord, and they had forfeited the power of networking, networking together as godly people. Got it? Now, for just one moment, glance ahead to what we'll see next week, chapter 2, the second part of verse 10. And this is the third part of the problem. Not anchored, not networked. And then there was not adequate news. That is, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. In other words, here's the point. Anchored, networked people like ourselves, we have a story, don't we? We have a story. It's the news of the gospel. And that is that a loving, caring, redeeming, rescuing God sees our sin and forgives it in Jesus. In that day, in the time of the judges, 12 different men are raised up for the purpose of trying to get these people to cure the problems that existed because they were not properly anchored and networked and were not doing what Moses had commanded all the way back in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, which is the Shema, where you talk about it when you walk by the way, you write it on the doorposts of your home, you post it online, you talk to your Facebook friends, you communicate the gospel. That is, that we, those who are trying to pick up lessons from this as we read that history, we've got the story of a loving, caring, redeeming, rescuing the Lord who preserves us from this type of falling away. Anchor Network News. Okay. Comments or questions, anybody? Yes. Yes. Yes, the, the 
Deuteronomy command in chapter 6 was parents telling children so there'll be a generational awareness. You can see it in homes, can't you? When it's there and when it's not there. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this brief glimpse into the sad and sordid history of what went on in the land of Canaan, the promised land, land of the promise. And the command was simple for Moses. Just don't tolerate wickedness in any form. If we're to take a lesson from this, we're to recognize that wickedness in our own culture and in our own day persists. And we are too, as we would see a bit earlier in the book of Joshua, we are to put our feet to the neck of any sort of evil and destroy it and kill it and remove it out of our lives. Father in heaven, to the extent that we have not done that as individual Christians, we pray for forgiveness and for the power of the Holy Spirit to turn from those things that are inconsistent with your word and which displease you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that brings conviction and an awareness of sin so that we would be alerted to those places where we are adrift and we are not linked to you, our great Redeemer. It may be that there are seasons in our lives when we look at the pages of Scripture, but we don't take in and inwardly digest and become transformed by the meat of the Word. We are satisfied with milk. Would you not, O oh Lord God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to be a transformed people? And as those who are committed to the church, may we just be not only anchored, but network together with other believers in Christ so that we may be a power for the kingdom in our community, spreading the good news of our Redeemer. And we pray this in your name. Amen.